Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. I'm your host, Baxter Future. This is a podcast about GPT-3, multimodal AI models like DALI, the company called OpenAI. In this podcast, I may share interesting research, my thoughts on new products such as OpenAI Codex. I may, may share feedback about where things are going, where I think they could be going in a wrong direction. Uh, my most famous podcast, I think, is where I talked about why prompt engineering is a bad name. This is specifically a uh, GPT-3-related developer term, which I strongly advocated against last year. Um, and also, I may just share ideas I have, where I'm at. I may sometimes talk about my personal life or how I'm feeling. Um, and so I'd like to welcome you to the second episode for 2022. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode, uh, as well as the previous episode, which I never released because it was a little bit too controversial. So I'm glad I never published that. But anyways, welcome back. Um, this week, I have three topics I want to cover. I want to just share some thoughts and feelings I had about the general pace of things. Uh, then I want to talk about GPT-3-based insurance. This is a concept I've been kicking around since early last year. Um, and then I also want to talk about uh, adjusting OpenAI's policies around a specific area, specifically around bringing your own keys. Um, so pretty insider baseball topic towards the end. The GPT-3-based insurance, I'm sure you know insurance, the most exciting topic in the world. Uh, you're going to love it. And uh, yeah, just a little, little, little piece I had. So uh, let's get started. So uh, last week I, I tweeted something like, I don't care what anyone says, we're not moving fast enough. And um, obviously, obviously, in this space of GPT-3, AI, multimodal stuff, you don't necessarily want to move fast because of the safety concerns, right? because of where things can go. You actually wanna be very pragmatic, you wanna be very careful, there is a benefit to withholding. But at the same time, I think advancement is really important. I think we could always be moving faster. We can always be more focused um, and achieve things. And uh, personally, personally, I, I think some one of the pains that I experience uh, if you follow OpenAI, if you follow the OpenAI scaling law papers, um, it seems to me like the blueprint is there. So part of my frustration is uh, if we can do something, what are we waiting on, right? Uh, if, 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 if the scaling law research papers indicate scaling up GPT-3's parameter count, uh, you know, adding more compute, um, all these things uh, could could lead to a much better version even of GPT-3, something with capabilities that we don't even know yet or understand. Um, I guess where I'm coming from is what are we waiting for? And I understand there's constraints. There's money, there's team, there's, you know, safety concerns, there's, you know, uh, you know the, the servers and the compute power may not exist. There might not be enough energy in the world or something crazy like that. Like, I understand there's all these constraints. And also, I don't want to discredit, GPT-3 is still incredibly impressive and will be commercially deployed and change all these different industries. But I guess all I'm saying is still, what are we waiting for? The blueprint is there. The path is there. And I always think we overestimate how much work we're getting done and we underestimate how little progress we're actually making. Um, 
It has been 16 days. OpenAI has not announced anything for 2022. And I don't want to you know, pinpoint one specific company, but uh, I am somebody genuinely, I not only worked uh, you know, several days over the holidays, I was working January 1st on the dot. <laughs> and I've been executing, basically. Um, and so, like again, this is not about me, but it's just like... Um, I have a certain work ethic and sometimes it is hard for me to not understand other people's work ethic, right? Um, this is a space where you do need to execute. You do need to continue to put stuff out. Um, speed is an asset, uh, and focus is important. And there's so much at stake here. There's so much on the line. There's so much competition. Um, I haven't heard much from anybody, whether that's Google or OpenAI or Microsoft. And I mean, I'm aware companies have restrictions, right? Whether that's, you know, we're on this sprint calendar, sprint schedule, you know, we just got back, right? There's, you know, different supply chain stuff going on, going on, going on right now with a new variant. So everybody's catching it. But I guess I'm just saying it has been a slow week for the past two, three weeks already in 2022. And I'm not speaking from a media perspective, like, wow, I have nothing to talk about. That's not the case. I still have lots to talk about. I just, I just mean the, the pace is important. Shipping is important. Um, we need to get to the future faster and sooner. And so at some point, I am not willing to hear excuses from people about money or time or the new variant or, you know, we're thinking to go hybrid or hybrid plants got set back. Like, I, I just don't care. Um, because I, I also feel like people who want to build the future, they just go ahead and build the future. And so what are we waiting on? What, like, what are we waiting on? Um, and so anyways, uh, that, that was just sort of some background of the tweet. And um, I'm sure, you know, and I didn't mean to knock open AI. I'm, I'm sure they got plenty of stuff. And I, last year was also crazy. They, they had probably, you know, the craziest year I've ever seen come out of a tech company, especially second half of 2021. Um, and also they did lead with Dally in the first month for January. So we'll still see what, what they come up with next. I'm sure they're going to continue innovating. And I just mean across the board, like, uh, you know, I, like, for example, I heard at Apple, Tim Cook has a Sunday night call with all the executives about what they're doing that week. Like he doesn't even wait until Monday morning to have that conversation. They're already battle planning and strategically thinking about what they're going to do next. And, I just, there's something about cadence and, and work ethic and efficiency that I just really admire and respect. Uh, and of course, you know, you have to be mindful of your team's mental health. I'm not saying you should disregard that. I'm not saying people should be working all the time, blah, blah, blah. Don't get me wrong. Just, I, I'm saying ideologically as somebody who's a futurist, idealist, uh, you know, I believe in building a utopia. This stuff cannot happen soon enough. That's all I'm saying. Um, so now I'm going to switch gears. I, I want to talk about GPT-3 based insurance. So let me let me load up my. So I put out an article about it last week at bakztfuture.substack.com. This is a free newsletter I run. You can enter your email and get access and get notified every time I drop a new article. You don't even have to enter your email. You can read the articles for free without entering your email. But um, so. To give you context, so the article is called GPT-3 slash large-scale language model business insurance. So the article is called GPT-3 large-scale language model business insurance. Um, 
So to give you context, I uh, this is a this is a concept I've been kicking around since early 2021. I had initially sort of mentioned it to a few people in the GPT-3 community. I had brought it up on Clubhouse here and there. Um, and the the genesis of it, so let, let me let me let me put you back in the time machine for a little bit. Um, at the time, the OpenAI community was closed. It's not like you could just sign up and try it. They had not announced fine tuning. Uh, and GPT-3 did have a lot of reliability kinds of issues. So you could not know whether it would say something racist, offensive, or just even damaging to your brand. And so one of the things that was a concern is what will a large business do? Uh, because if they use GPT-3 and it, you know, it does something completely inappropriate, out of line something psychologically challenging or damaging to a potential customer, um, who's going to be liable for the damages? And the damages could get really bad, right? In some cases, GPT-3 could be used for classification decisions around real-world moving things, right? Like it could make judgments that have physical implications, right, for society. And so who's liable and you know can a business be sued for doing for using gpt3 um and it just gets really 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 complicated from a business risk perspective and it's important to address these business risks and concerns that businesses may have because they likely won't adopt gpt3 if they're looking at the basic math and they're like this thing is too risky Right. So again, this is before OpenAI announced fine tuning. And I even believe it was before they had even necessarily put out the research papers showing fine tuning is not only promising, but commercially something they can offer on their website. Um, so I, I guess the first reason is, is the business sort of the basic spreadsheet math they would do and say the risk might be a little bit too high here. So we won't use it. We won't integrate it. The second risk is there are domains that are very inherently risky. So if you're using GPT-3 for therapy, right, you should probably have insurance, right? And again, like I don't want to put the GPT-3 name on this. If you're using any language model, uh, any AI-based language model, whatever, like uh, you should probably get insurance. And this is a sensitive domain. If you're dealing with children, especially vulnerable teenagers, and you're giving them mental health advice, um, the risks for that are so great that uh, you should probably have insurance. And in no way am I saying any, I, I'm saying we should always first and foremost strive to have the best AI, which doesn't create any safety concerns. That should be the first part. Like the engineering should be in the language model. The fine tuning should be in there so that nothing bad happens. But I'm just saying in the event that God forbid something bad happens, you should probably have insurance. Um, and, you know, in those domains, they're risky, yes, but they're also really important, right? Uh, AI-based therapy, which is, you know, follows the code of a therapist, like, you know, their sort of industry practice, the best practices, something which, you know, relieves some of the anxiety and stress, makes it more affordable and scalable, something which can grow with people and always be available. 
that's a really exciting altruistic opportunity, right? So I'm saying on one hand, businesses would probably want insurance to help them get over the fence to take on the risk of using a language model. And I'm also saying there are domains that are highly risky, but also very important for humanity, in which case both they should both probably have insurance. And then there's probably some, you know, basic, you know, you're a startup, you know, you have X amount of revenue um, and, you, you know, you might be open to picking up some kind of language model insurance uh, just in case something happens, something that you didn't expect. Um, and so that has been the genesis of this article. This is something I've been kicking around. Uh, and actually, this concept of insurance is part of a, a series. <laughs> I know I have many series I talk about uh, on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash future. Uh, this is part of the series called GPT-3 and Altruism. It's basically exploring this idea of how can we have a more altruistic AI community? Uh, what can we do? Like, I'm sure something like language model insurance would encourage more entrepreneurs to explore more altruistic use cases and businesses for the, the core GPT-3 technology, especially if the insurance protected them from personal liability. It would just make people more bold and, and less fearless to address a lot of these important areas in society. And so um, that's why I've been kicking around this idea since last year. I mentioned it recently to somebody and I thought maybe I should put it down on the newsletter. And you know how I am. I, I, I always think there's some value to putting your ideas out there, floating them by, putting them out into the ether. Um, and maybe there's some value here. So very quickly, I'll, I'll, I just I don't think I'll reread the whole article. You can check it out on your own. But I will go through like the main points. Um, there are still safety risks of language models, even if they are fine tuned for very sensitive domains, such as mental health and vulnerable audiences like teenagers. The idea is there could be a specific insurance provider which specializes in insurance for language model based businesses and multimodal models in the future. Through their evolving actuary risk and financial models, they could evaluate the risks of a GPT-3 application and offer insurance coverage for businesses in the space. Uh, safety concerns of this magnitude are a very new proposition in many ways to the tech and software world, but this kind of real-world risk evaluation is nothing new to the insurance industry. They are used to estimating, negotiating, and covering the mental health costs, physical damage, hospital bills, and legal fees for some of society's worst events. Uh, although the industry goal should be to have zero events happen by partnering with the tech companies, uh, the insurance companies could share detailed case data and work together with industry to bring the frequency of these events down over time. Uh, so I think those are the main points. So what is it? It's insurance specifically for language model or multimodal model based businesses. Um, why have insurance? Because the, the main point of insurance is over time, they do sort of measure and evaluate risk. They do model it. And by having them model it, uh, that could better, but that may actually help us better understand the, the the risks and craters that is possible through this technology, and bring those risks down as an industry over time. Uh, I, I also uh, and maybe we could benefit from their expertise, right? That's also what I'm saying. Um, but I, I also mentioned later in the article that yes, of course, existing insurance options exist, like even me. 
uh, I have general liability, commercial liability, and whatever insurance. I can't even remember what it's called. General commercial liability insurance, something like that. I have that. But I'm not sure if something like GPT-3 qualifies under any existing uh, umbrella. And I'm sorry I keep saying GPT-3. I'm not sure if any language model activity uh, is technically insured under existing insurance policies. And I'm not sure how these insurance companies would react uh, if, if you had some kind of language model based safety incident and, you know, potentially there's hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars worth in damages on the line. I'm not sure how they would react, whether they would actually cover that or dispute it and say AI based activity is actually not even under our policies um, or their policies don't cover AI based agents. Right. Um, so this is a new space and this is actually maybe even potentially a business opportunity. Right. Perhaps there is room for a new insurance provider who specifically uh, provides insurance protection and coverage for AI-based, language model-based, or multimodal model-based businesses of the future. Um, and so I'm putting the idea out there, floating it by. Let me know what you think. I could be really wrong. I got some. I got a great. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It was an email. It was an email of somebody in the insurance. It seemed they had insurance experience had reached out to me privately. Uh, so I got some great feedback there. I'm not going to be sharing it here, but uh, um, I just, uh, yeah, it's an idea I, I've been kicking around and I, I think it would encourage more entrepreneurs to take, uh, take to explore these altruistic, important areas. I think it would encourage businesses, especially large ones, to adopt the technology. And overall, maybe it could be a very healthy development for actual commercialization of these models. Um, commercialization, adoption, these kinds of things. Um, and I'm sh I, obviously this is not like the most exciting topic in the world, <laughs> but uh, uh, it has some importance. And one piece I, I also want to mention is for sure, uh, I could see it when there's, when the model is first, when they first start modeling it, the, actu do actu the actuaries, when they first start creating the model around risk, Probably in the beginning, the premiums would be really high, like something only a big business could afford. Like we, we are using a language model. This is the specific use case. We're paying X, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, millions a month to be insured and protected specifically for a domain like mental health. And my assumption is over time as the risks and uh, the safety concerns and the craters and the model as, as, as these things are better understood. And as the model becomes more rich and sophisticated, perhaps it could one day get down to something like a startup level, 30 bucks a month, hundred bucks a month. And you have millions of dollars worth in coverage. And I think, I think the final piece is insurance could give some peace of mind. Even if your model is fine-tuned, even if you know virtually after you've tested it, after even two years, you've never had a safety issue. I think if I was, if I ran a business which had some dependency on a language model or a multimodal model in a big way, I would love the peace of mind knowing I am insured and protected nonetheless. So even if somebody finds some exploit and gets it to say stuff that it you know was never meant for it to say. It goes really off topic, and they you know they claim all these you know issues and ways it affected them, damages. It's nice to know you are protected, and this level of peace of mind and protection could be just another uh, key strategy to get GPT three more saturated, to get language models 
whether that's the Luther AI or Cohere, AI21, whatever, to get them all more saturated into the market and encourage more adoption. So that this insurance piece addresses the peace of mind too. Uh, finally, so I guess my last topic is uh, I posted on the OpenAI community forums. I wrote, I'm interested in potentially building an application where users can enter their own OpenAI API key into my application and use the service that way. This key may be stored in a database by my application. I'm wondering what is the OpenAI policy on letting users bring their own key? Is there any commercialization challenges and restrictions in doing so? Maybe guidelines on best practices, which could be helpful. Um, <clears throat> I, I got a great response by somebody who works at OpenAI. Uh, Ishant wrote, thanks for checking. For security purposes, users are not permitted to share their API keys with others, including via bring your own key applications. We will work to make this clearer in our documentation. We are also considering technical solutions that may allow users to authenticate with a service without sharing their actual API key. So um, thank you for the response. It's great. I had a feeling that this is something that they might be thinking about that uh, you know it does have policy implications. There's definitely positives and negatives. And real quick, I also want to shout out Vova. I'll, I'll put his uh, you know uh, Twitter handle uh, in the show notes and YouTube description. Um, him and I were just chatting about it. I think a month ago about bring your own key stuff, and I realized uh, like uh, uh, I should probably talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> and uh, so th thanks again to Vova for just bringing it on my radar. This is something you know. Uh, he was also uh, thinking about recently. So if you if you haven't been following along, so what do I mean by bring your own key? So let's start there. So um, <clears throat> once you have OpenAI access, so you've created an account, you've used the playground, um, you can use something called an API key. This is a secret almost password, right? that you can then use in your code or elsewhere um, in order to then access GPT-3 or access Codex in, in order to access the different products. Now, typically, you're supposed to keep this key secret because if you don't keep it secret, somebody else could use your key in all these nefarious ways. The OpenAI, uh, your OpenAI account may be connected to your credit card. And so they could just, you know, start using an insane amount and you would have to pay for all that usage, right? So anyways, uh, the the thing is, so with, with the bring your own key, the idea would be that you create a skeleton application and essentially your business does not run on your own OpenAI API account. The idea is people who are already OpenAI users, they would then copy their own secret key and put it into your skeleton application, uh, get the responses they want from OpenAI, but use your, use your skeleton application as mainly the user interface and get their own results. And so, uh, I think I have an idea why OpenAI doesn't currently support bring your own key applications unless they go through like a rigorous commercialization uh, vetting. Um, and the reason is I think legally and policy wise, they want specific businesses to use their own keys and then be responsible for users generating content. Like they almost, 
I think it, it benefits them to know that there's, you know, a business who's in charge. This is connected to their OpenAI account. Ideally, they're bringing a human in the loop, right? Um, and so it's 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 a uh, it's mainly an agency and liability thing. And I I think on one hand that is very uh, safe and pragmatic choice actually to to make sure a business uses their own key. That way, they're also enforcing the right policies on their users. And the downside of a bring your own key situation is the business can claim they don't know the results that were outputted, <laughs> right? And yes, the uh, the user generating and using their OpenAI key to get back potentially nefarious results and then broadcasting or distributing them, like, yes, that puts, uh, that's still on them. Like, it'll still be connected to their OpenAI account. But the problem is then the onus, I think, falls more on OpenAI to police than the business, right? The business can just shrug and say, we had no idea. And then I, I doubt, you know, I, like any other company, I don't know if they, if they have the capacity to check up on every user, make sure there's a human in the loop one-to-one, -one, right? Um, and uh, I mean, it's also more complicated. Like from a usability perspective, it's a lot easier if a business just lets you use their uh, API key, right? That, that, that any user could pull up. They don't need to worry about keys, right? It's just connected to theirs. They get the value and they leave. It's also more secure, right? That users are not managing their own keys because probably, probably a lot of users are, are not capable of managing their own keys and keeping them uh, secret. And uh, there's also other things like how do you know the business is storing it in a safe way? Um, in a secure way so those keys don't leak. God forbid, uh, you know, uh, a database gets leaked and everybody's OpenAI API key is exposed, right? Like that's a nightmare scenario. So I, so these are the cons <laughs> for bring your own key that I've described in a nutshell. Hopefully I've covered most of it. So legal policy, agency, there's an agency accountability issue. There's, you know, limited bandwidth from a language model provider to police what users do or say, and in which case businesses are actually quite helpful. There's also the risk of getting users more involved with their own keys, and it's also less usable. And finally, there's a risk to letting businesses store OpenAI API keys at scale. Hopefully you're with me so far. Now, the thing is, there is a positive. And sometimes I feel like the positive is quite compelling. And if it policy and safety wise is thought through and done carefully i think it could uh, really change the game in this space um and so the positive is that if you have a bring your own key application you don't really need to worry about your own open ai api costs and so in theory you can make a skeleton app um that people can just pull up, use their own key, try it, use it as much or as little as they want. And your economics would not be based on usage. Um, it could be a monthly fee to access the UI where it's just a nice experience. It could be a lifetime, one-time payment. You know, you pay a hundred bucks, you have access to this tool for the rest of your life, free updates. Um, and I just think it would, 
um, create new kinds of businesses that we don't see today because we are worried about the costs, like managing your own API costs is something a GPT-3 business has to do uh, because it's, it's, it's linear, right? Um, and you know, you have to then price users the right way. You have to restrict their usage, whether they overdo it, underdo it. Right. Um, and the kinds of applications I could see that could be possible. Um, I can sort of envision a lot of really good utilities. Like in my last podcast, uh, I'm sorry, I think it was two podcasts ago. I talked about you know, GPT-3 changing the game for university students. That's like my prediction for the 2022 new year. Um, I just want to put out like that kind of application would have been perfect under a bring your own key kind of model where uh, users, there's like a million and one ways that some kind of app could help you with your homework, writing your essay, coming up with business analysis kind of, uh, you know, tables like the SWOT analysis, right? Uh, specific helping you with a science lab report, helping you come up with an essay thesis idea. Like it would have like essentially all these tiny little ways that GPT-3 could help. And so you would pull up to that kind of application and essentially every student would just go by the usage on their own account, right? On OpenAI's uh, API, instead of a single centralized entity worrying about their costs, because all these students showed up out of nowhere and they all want to use it for free, <laughs> right? And so uh, something like that, where you could you know, have a bundle of use cases all in one, all these little helper utilities kinds of things. Um, and as a business, your job would be, the way you cr you're creating value is centralizing essentially uh, all these utilities in one place where you can just enter your key and you're good. Um, and um, also managing the prompts, managing the version control, making the UI the best thing ever, where it's super easy, way better than the playground, where the advantage is so much greater uh, to, to do it that way instead of just trying to mess with the playground and fine tune your own stuff, like all that stuff, right? So you avoid that. And in regards to the safety concern of users managing their own keys and stuff like that, um, I would just add that I, I would sort of counter that by saying, I think the current generation of users is a lot smarter. Um, many people now are familiar with good password uh, uh, standards, right? Like good good best practices for, for passwords, right? Many people know to keep their password safe. People understand the concept of encryption. And also, especially the younger generation, um, I think they're actually quite familiar, actually, with what an API is. I think they can understand the concept of, you know, API keys. And also, they are a generation which is heavily into crypto and decentralized stuff and NFTs. So I actually think there's a possibility here where the mindset has shifted. I think you can trust consumers with API keys um, and they may actually be able to take responsibility over it and you could build the right tools so they get alerted and all that stuff. And there's also the 
this idea of some kind of OpenAI OAuth, you know, where you just sign in with your OpenAI account and it, it works that way. I'm, I'm not saying fully like you, the keys is the only option. I'm just saying, you know, times are also changing. Times are changing. And I'll be honest as well, like um, I'm not sure what our practices are even for developers using GPT-3 in their application now. How do you know that key is safe, right? I should have reviewed the documentation prior, but like I'm, I'm saying, like, do we, do we, does do the doc say how you should store your OpenAI API key besides putting it as an environment variable? You know, does it, does it have suggestions on encryption? Uh, people can already use their keys in all the different ways they want, and people are already storing their keys in I, probably the same ways. And so, I guess I'm just saying, like, um, is there really any reason um and could we come up with best practices if if we do open up this idea of bring your own key and also i mean obviously some kind of oauth solution is also an option uh, but i just think it would create more gpt3 use cases more gpt3 business applications essentially the people who start those kinds of language model based businesses because they're essentially not worried about their costs suddenly scaling rapidly and having to figure that piece out, they would just put more stuff out there. They'd innovate more. They don't have to worry necessarily about how it's gonna make money. And essentially, I think they will be able to make money. Uh, it will create, they will discover economics. Uh, they'll create value first and they will create, a, they will discover economics later. And I think the economics could be just this idea that you've got a great UI, you're managing the prompts. Uh, it's just a great service. And that service only, it basically has to be better than using the playground. And like, I understand part of it, OpenAI, you know, their main thing is to target developers. Like, I, I understand that idea. I think it makes sense that that's the audience, but I also think, especially with GPT-3, there there may actually be a consumer angle there too. And so maybe maybe there is this world where consumers have an OpenAI account, not necessarily businesses, and uh, they, they have their own keys and they sort of check into these different applications, share that key, uh, or share like a certain instance of, a, of their keys that have access to their account and sort of this consumer-led OpenAI is really how most people interact with OpenAI rather than through a business. Um, anyways, so this too, I, I apologize if I went on too long. Um, this too is also an idea I'm kicking around. Uh, it's almost good <laughs> for me to be able to share this with you guys because um, <clears throat> It's something that's been at the back of my head since December. And these are the raw thoughts I have. And now that I've expressed them, I'm a little bit relieved because now I'll be able to get it into a Substack newsletter article. Um, it is a really, really challenging policy discussion. And the timing is also really important. Like now that fine tuning is out, maybe it's worth reevaluating. Maybe later this year, I'd understand. Maybe next year. Uh, when the safety and other risks are better concerned, uh, better understood, maybe maybe you also need more data, right? Like maybe you need to see, um, you know, most users are accessing OpenAI as a uh, as a as as just a user, as not a business. In which case, 
you know, you need to kind of rethink your core audience and business model. But anyways, all together, those are the three things I wanted to share. We need to do more. We need to move faster. Insurance may be a surprisingly interesting solution for a lot of the safety and business adoption challenges we're seeing. And finally, maybe there is more merit to letting users bring their own key. Uh, anyways, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Multimodal by Backstreet Future is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you name it. Just type in Multimodal by B-A-K-Z-T Future. Please leave a review on on, on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Uh, I appreciate it. I saw two reviews. I want to thank uh, the people who did that. It means a lot to me. I'm also hearing you can leave reviews on Spotify now. So if you liked today's episode, please, please leave a review. It goes a long way. I haven't checked, but I don't think I have a single review on Spotify or Stitcher. So it would mean a lot to me. Please put it in there if you appreciate the podcast. Um, you know about my YouTube channel, youtube.com YouTube slash B-A-K-Z-T future, my Substack bakztfuture.substack.com. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, and you know about my Twitter at bakztfuture and my Instagram, you can guess by now, it's at bakztfuture. I'm Future everywhere. Uh, that's, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day, evening, month, morning, wherever you are, whatever you're doing in the universe. I hope it's awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.